I say we just dive in. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. Before, if you guys want to know more about Mike, I'm going to have to send you guys to watch the first two videos. There's a short intro that Mike did. Um, but I really want, there's a lot of good material and I want to squeeze as much juice out of the proverbial orange as I possibly can. So let's get cracking. And I told Mike, Mike, thanks again for coming on. Um, appreciate it. It's always a privilege and a joy to open the word of God and share it with everybody that's listening. Amen. So before we go, tell us where you were just at. I know off the record, you told me, tell us where you had just ministered at. Yeah, I was down in Naples, Florida at Grace Bible Church, very solid, biblically sound church. And I had an opportunity to give a message on the nine prophetic signs of the end times. It's a very interesting message because we are seeing a lot of things happen that may be precursors to the birth pains that the Lord Jesus spoke of that would precede his second coming. Absolutely. So, an yep. excellent message, and anybody can go to their website, Grace Bible Church in Naples, Florida, to hear that message. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and link, uh, I'm going to put that link down below in the description, both on the social media outlets and on the Serpents and Doves website. So you guys can just uh, go down there, and it'll link you to the, um, the Grace Bible Church website and Mike's message. So I say we just get going because there's a lot. We are going to talk again about Catholicism, the papacy, but I think the most important thing, and you wrote to me in one of your emails, which I thought was fantastic, was um, to get people the hope, how do we evangelize? How do we, in love, share the gospel and the true message of Jesus Christ? And we will get to that. But before we do that, I wanted to open up with a, um, it's a citation here. I, I do want to say this for Mike's sake and for everybody else, because Mike puts out fantastic newsletters. They're amazing. Um, again, I'm going to link to those in the description below, and I highly recommend you read them. His last one was of November, 2021. You guys have to read it in there. Mike, you quote uh, paragraph 882, and I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to get started. What do you think? Sure. It's 882, the Catechism of the Catholic Church that yes. has the official imprimatur of the Catholic Church. It is their authority in all matters of faith. Okay, so let me read that. It says, the Pope, Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor, quote, is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor, the entire church has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. I think there is a lot of sermons just in that one paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church First of all, before I talk about this document that was signed in the 90s, what exactly, I mean, let me say this. I'm going to just ask you about the last part, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Really? What exactly do they mean when they say exercise unhindered power? 
Well, it says exactly what it's supposed to mean, that the Pope will not be restrained by anyone. And I would suggest that the Pope actually believes that since he is God's representative on this earth, he's referred to as Holy Father, which is the title reserved for God alone. He's also referred to as the head of the church, the title he stole from the Lord Jesus Christ, who purchased the church with his own blood. Yeah. Pope never did that. And he also stole the title Vicar of Christ, which is a title that is given to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I must go, but I will send a comforter in my place. And that is the Holy Spirit, the Vicar of Christ on this earth today. And so he really has this false illusion that he is acting in the place of God, stealing the three titles given to the triune God. So when he says he can exercise this power unhindered, that means unhindered in the whole universe. So nothing can restrain him. So is that, do you think now I'm asking this on, I think just to satiate my curiosity, do you think that that power unhindered also applies on a global scale? When I, when I mean that on a governmental scale as well, other governments, other countries, I mean, is this guy probably you would say, no, I don't want to put words in your mouth. The most powerful man in the world at this point. Well, he's the most powerful Catholic in the world. And you have to understand, he's not only a religious leader, but he's also the head of the state. Vatican City is a sovereign nation, which is why the Pope has ambassadors from every nation in the world coming to visit him and to consult with him. We just had Joe Biden that came to visit him, and together they represent the two most powerful Catholics on this earth. Yeah. And... You know, I say this not out of animosity, but actually stating the facts. But these were two of the greatest hypocritical liars that we have on the earth today. Sure. The reason I say that is because they came together to discuss ways that they can protect human dignity. And yet they are not unwilling to protect the livelihood of the baby in the mother's womb. That's right. As you know, Joe Biden is pro-abortion, and yet the Pope did not reprimand him for his position or even call him to repentance. The Pope said you would be able to continue taking communion, which means that Pope Francis is saying that Joe Biden can continue in this sin and yet take the Eucharist, which they believe is the body and blood soul and divinity of Christ. So when I say hypocritical liars, they say one thing, but they do another. And the Pope even called Joe Biden a good Catholic. You have to be a good Catholic when you don't stand for Catholic beliefs. Yeah, well, you know, it takes one to know one, right? I guess. Um, You you also say in your newsletter, and I really, really like the the quote. Again, you guys really need to read this newsletter, all of his newsletters. Um, They're really, really fantastic. But you talk about Pope Francis advocated more Marxist left-wing politics in the latest attempt to reassure the world that Catholicism is on the side of social justice. So they're more, he's more concerned about what, when he talks about this. Well, he's all for open borders. And that's where the social justice and the Marxism comes in. They want to do away with with sovereign nations. They want to have a global government, global religion, 
and ultimately a global economy. Sure. What you have to do before you can do the global government is you have to take the power away from the most powerful nation in the world, which happens to be the United States. Yeah. So together they are working together to eliminate the superpower and to bring all nations together, all citizens of the world together for a global government. And they actually have met talking about a global governance. And the Pope has actually suggested that we need a world dictator so that he can control everything that's going on in the world today. And ultimately, we know that he's looking for the Antichrist, a man who will control the world, who will control buying and selling. People that do not have the mark of the beast will not be able to buy and sell. Sure. So that's where the global economy comes in. Yep. And Joe Biden is right there with him. He's uh, carrying out the wishes of the Roman Catholic Pope. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing, too, is um, isn't the Pope, uh, well, he's on this bandwagon of climate change and global warming, correct? That's correct. He doesn't realize the earth is dispensable, that in the end it will be burnt up when the Lord comes and establishes the thousand-year reign on the earth. Sure. And then after Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the eternal lake of fire, then the Lord will create a new heaven and a new earth, and this earth that we now know as home will be burned up in the end. Yeah, there's so many things that this Pope embodies that are so similar to, and I talked about this with Brandon Holthouse on the previous podcast I did with him, the similarity between him and the false prophet of Revelation chapter 13. If you guys haven't read that, I highly recommend you go into Revelation chapter 13, read it for yourself, do the research yourself. Don't take Mike's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Uh, be a Berean of the word of God. Mike, um, so also, so he's pro-abortion. The other thing I wanted to mention, I did talk about this with, um, and these are just kind of bullet points that we're going through before we dive in. He's he's pro um, he's pro homosexual agenda, right? Joe Biden is yes, and so is the Pope. Isn't the Pope? I mean, he he, I don't know well, if he's come out in in full support, but he says that who is he? Does to, one thing and does another. Yeah, yes. yeah. See, you have to recognize that this Pope not only goes against the Word of God, the Bible, he also goes against historic Roman Catholic theology and Roman Catholic policy. Um, it wasn't too many years ago. I think the Pope has now been in office almost eight years, but he was featured on the front cover of a gay magazine. Yeah, I covered that with with Brandon. Yes, he was. Yeah, he is. He's gay friendly. Uh, the, the homosexuals love him. Yeah, yeah. So, and and also, he's okay with um, other forms of. Obviously, the Catholic Church has its form of idolatry, but he's very pro. Um, Mother Earth and all this, because like I showed you guys in Brandon Holthouse's podcast, he had the uh, uh, some, some, I, I forget, Pachamama or something like that. Um, this organization, he had them, uh, he was there when they were praying to this idol. And the idol is this wooden statue of a pregnant, it looks like a pregnant woman, but the, the, the baby is supposedly Earth. Am I correct, Mike? Yeah, but, you know, we can talk a lot of um, different things about what the Pope is doing. But I think the most important thing, Pablo, is that he is leading 1.3 billion 
precious souls down the wide road to destruction. Sure. And so we say that he is a false prophet because we look at the authority of Scripture, and we know that anybody that preaches a false gospel is not only leading people to hell, but he's also under divine condemnation based on Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. Sure. And that's where Paul says, if anyone comes preaching another gospel, let them be anathema. Let them be turned over to God for destruction. Let them be condemned. And so this pope is under condemnation. Yeah, isn't there a place in Scripture also? And unfortunately, I have a difficult time. I, there's times I can't remember the chapter and verse, but where the Lord says that if you were to make one of these little ones stumble, it'd be better of you to tie a millstone around your neck and be tossed into the depths of the ocean. That's correct. That's Scripture. Yeah. And so, um, yes, he is leading 1.3 billion people away. So with that established, Mike, how about we jump in? Because I believe that a large portion of the evangelical church also has a part to play in this. Am I right? Yeah, the Roman Catholic Church has got a lot of friends in the evangelical church, and the Pope has been able to delude some evangelical leaders into signing unity accords with the Roman Catholic religion, daring yep. to state that we share a common faith in the gospel. Yeah. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's the Catholic gospel is diametrically opposed to the biblical gospel. And these evangelical leaders need to be held accountable because what they're doing is they're calling the Roman Catholic Church a Christian denomination rather than a mission field, which sure. is what it is. Sure. And so let, let's jump into that because there's probably some people that might be watching and they're list or listening and they're going, they're probably thinking that you and I are full of hot air and that we're haters or that we don't love people. But I, I really like what John MacArthur said. He said that it's it's loving to tell people the truth, but it's very unloving to allow somebody to perish in a false system. I really, really like the way that he put that. So I want to kind of jump in here and show that what we're talking about is factual. This is fact. This isn't stuff that Mike and I are making up. And unfortunately, this is stuff that's going on. Case in point. Um, and before I, I, I go any further, the Bible does say, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There shouldn't be any fellowship. Evangelicals and Catholics, like Mike said, were diametrically opposed in our theology. So I believe it was in the 90s, Mike. I can't remember exactly what year. I should have written it down, but there was, um, there was this. 1994 was the first evangelical and Catholic together. Thank you. Yes. So and can you fill us in? It from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, mm -hmm. verses 14 to 18. And those four verses really destroy any kind of ecumenical unity with the Roman Catholic religion because unbelievers have nothing in common with believers. Light has nothing in common with darkness. Sure. Lyle has nothing in common with Christ. And so to call for ecumenical unity is going against the word of God. Now, the Bible does speak about two different kinds of unity. There's the unity of the spirit. Every born-again Christian is baptized by one spirit into one body. That's the unity we have with brothers and sisters in Christ who have been born again. But there's also an, an unbiblical form of unity, and that's when you unite believers with unbelievers. And that's where Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. 
Yeah. Um, that first accord was called Evangelical and Catholics Together, like Mike said. I want to make sure that I, because I, I do want to mention names. Uh, Chuck Colson, Bill Bright, uh, J.I. Packard, I believe, were, were the big, the three big names, right? That were for this false ecumenis, ecumenicity. Um, yeah. I, right. The ones that were, um, well, let me back up here. So they were the ones that endorsed this. And it really was a celebration of, of they, what they called a common faith, which we do not have a common faith. Um, and not too long after that, uh, I heard a great message. I'll, I'm going to link it as well by uh, John MacArthur. I'm sure you probably heard it too, where uh, he gave that talk shortly after Pope John Paul II had passed away. And um, he talks a lot about this. John MacArthur does. He said that uh, they were gathered together. They got this meeting in Florida, about a seven-hour meeting of Protestants together. Did you hear about that? Oh, of course. Okay, yeah. talk about that for uh, talk about that for a minute. Well, the meeting was with John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, uh -huh. and Jim Kennedy, and I believe Michael Horton. Yes, Michael Horton was there as well. And together, they recognized that we needed to put a stop to this. That we need to call evangelicals to account that it signed the ECT Accord because it goes against God's word and it puts the Roman Catholic Church off limits as an evangelistic mission field. Yeah. Where would we be today without the voice of John MacArthur? Because every time there has been a unity accord, he's had a clarion voice for calling all Christians to stand against unity with the Roman Catholic religion. Sure. And it's really heartbreaking because, as we have seen, more and more unity accords have been signed down through the years. 1994 yeah. was just the first one. And Pablo, we have to go back to 1965 because of Vatican Council II, that's when the Roman Catholic Church issued a decree on ecumenism. And that's when they put the ball into motion. They used to call us heretics. Evangelicals were called heretics. But they changed the name to Separated Brethren because <laughs> they knew they couldn't win us back if they were calling us names. Yeah. So now we are Separated Brethren. We need to come back to Holy Mother the Church in order to receive the fullness of salvation. And the one thing they say we are lacking is the Eucharist, yeah. which they believe is the physical body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Roman Catholic priests have urged me to come back for the fullness of salvation, I respond to them in the same way. In Christ, I already have the complete forgiveness of sins. And according to your catechism, you don't. Yeah. In Christ, I have the promise of eternal life. But according to your catechism, you don't. In Christ, I have the power to live a victorious life. But according to your catechism, you don't. You need to leave your religion and come to Christ, then you too can enjoy the fullness of salvation that is the promise of the gospel, eternal, Amen. everlasting life with the Savior. Amen. You know what? I want to read a quote because uh, one of the leading, okay, leading evangelicals, uh, a couple of them were, again, Bill Bright. For those of you guys that don't know Bill Bright, maybe the younger generation, he's the one that started Campus Crusade for Christ. Chuck Colson was called the hatchet man. He was the um, one of the attorneys, counsels for the Nixon administration, for President Nixon. He went to jail. And um, he had some good stuff. Chuck Colson had uh, 
some good stuff, but there was other things case in point that I and Mike don't agree with. His testimony was good. He had a good testimony. He went to prison. He started, uh, I believe it was prison fellowship, Mike. Um, very ecumenical organization, right? So, um, by the way, Kirk Wilson's wife was Roman Catholic, which I think explains a lot of why he wanted to have unity between evangelicals and Catholics. Yeah, I think towards the end, um, before he passed away, uh, a lot of this really started coming out in the 90s and in the 2000s of, of Chuck Colson and, and his ecumenicity between Catholicism and Christianity. But this is what this one leading evangelical said. He said, quote, isn't it wonderful that we can now see Catholics as evangelicals, because that means that millions and millions of people are now Christians. And like John MacArthur had said in his sermon, he's all, it's amazing to me that now just by saying it, we have somehow now redeemed 1.3 billion people on the face of the earth just by saying it. What, what do you have to say about that, Mike? What do you think? The only way a Roman Catholic can become a brother and sister in Christ is to repent and believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word repent is a change of mind. Catholics can no longer adhere to the gospel of the Roman Catholic religion. They have to change their mind. They have to repent of it and put their faith in Christ alone. Amen. You know, that was what the five solos of the Reformation were all about. We're but, saved by yep. grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. Yes. That's the only hope for a Roman Catholic is to believe the five solas of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. For those of you guys who think we're off our rocker and the EAC accord or document that was in the 90s, oh, that's old hat. Um, in 2016, uh, there was a gathering. It was called Together Generation. You guys can look it up if you don't believe me. Um, it was led by, well, speakers in the 2016-2018 Together Generation uh, were Francis Chan, Tim Tebow, Lecrae, Ravi Zacharias, Nick Hall. Um, I believe that also, Mike, have you heard of the Together Generation? Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, can you talk to us? Is that similar to the EAC, same kind of movement repackaged? Yeah, it is. They've got some different figures involved in this, though. Many people are aware of Francis Chan coming off the tracks and he's yeah. no longer considered an evangelical. He's drifting into apostasy. He actually invited me into his church in the early 2000, I think it was 2003 or 2004. And after the message I gave in his church, I was supposed to open it up for questions and answers. And he knew that the Roman Catholics were in the audience. In fact, Simi Valley News was made up of a lot of Roman Catholic editors, and they were all in the audience. And so when I welcomed questions, he immediately jumped up from the front seat, turned around and faced this whole church and said, I am sorry that all of you had to sit through this. This is not what our church is about. I apologize that you had to hear this. Wow. And he just dismissed everything I had said. I was very humble. I was very compassionate. I was uncompromising. And I showed the differences between Roman Catholicism and biblical Christianity for the purpose of equipping the body of Christ to know how to witness to this huge mission field. Yeah. And so the next day, the Simi Valley News put a headline, Speaker Calls Roman Catholicism False. 
And then they went on to quote all the scriptures I used to show that it was indeed a false religion. That's I don't good. I think you were aware that it was scripture, but yeah. they were quoting me. And um, <laughs> so ever since then, Francis Chan has come off the tracks and he's been very Catholic friendly. And it was no surprise when he got together with this conference in 2016 to embrace Roman Catholicism. As yeah, they're. they're they're getting ready to do their conference, I believe, in 2022. Uh, 2020, for obvious reasons, got canceled. And then I don't think that they were able to pull permits for the large gathering they wanted this year, but they're determined to do it in 2022. I would imagine that they're going to succeed at some point, right, Mike, to do this, because I think these things are going to get progressively worse. What do you think? Yeah, and they do it. They do it with highly visible, highly influential quote-unquote, evangelicals. You know, Tim Tebow, I don't um, hold that much against him because he probably has never studied Roman Catholicism. Right. But Francis Chan has no excuse. He sat there and he listened to the major differences and for him to just dismiss them as not significant, that's just a complete uh, volitional decision to embrace Roman Catholicism. Well, Ravi Zacharias was there as well. Um, and He's I mean, been Catholic friendly as well. Yeah. So he knows he knew past, he knew better. Um, so, so here's another question though. Uh, what are the implications of evangelicals claiming that Catholics are believers in Jesus Christ? I mean, so what do, what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to see them as the mission field or co-laborers in Christ? Right. What are the, let's talk, let's talk about that first. What are the implications? The implications is what we've been talking about. It basically puts the Roman Catholic mission field off limits to evangelism because these highly influential evangelicals are saying they don't need the gospel. We share a common faith in the gospel with Catholics. And so sure. if you're an uneducated evangelical in regards to Catholicism, then you're going to believe your leaders instead of studying what the Catholic church actually teaches. And so what we need to do is we need to distinguish the differences. Number one, we have a different authority. Yeah. Pablo, you and I and evangelicals submit to the supreme authority of God's word. The Catholic Church has three equal authorities, the word of God, sacred tradition, and the infallible teachings of the Pope. So that's where it all starts. When you have a different authority other than the word of God, then you start creating other doctrines that go against the word of God. The major one is a different gospel. Yeah. The biblical gospel is by faith alone in Christ alone, his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. That's the gospel. And we believe in that. We believe that when Christ went to the cross, he finished the work of redemption. That's why he cried yeah. out in John 1930, it is finished. He was immersed in a in the wrath of God, he bore all of our sins, took all the punishment that we deserve. And in return, he gave us his perfect righteousness. So those who believe in Christ have their sins completely forgiven, and they're given the gift of Christ's righteousness. And that qualifies them for heaven and the promise of eternal life. Sure. So the Roman Catholic Jesus did not finish the work of redemption. That's why they have another gospel to instruct Catholics what they must do. The Roman Catholic Jesus must be offered every day on an altar yeah. in the form of a Eucharist. And the priest is said to have the power to call Jesus Christ down from heaven 
to continue on an altar what he finished on the cross. Yeah. The priest is said to have this power to do that. And through the quote-unquote miracle of transubstantiation, they changed the inner substance of a wafer into the physical body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, such that he becomes physically present on the altar. The priest lifts up the wafer for all the Catholics to worship this as their God in Christ, and then he lays it on the altar to be offered up again as a propitiatory sacrifice, which means the wrath of God is turned away from the sin that was committed in the previous week by Roman Catholics. Yeah. That's why they have to come back week after week after week to have their sins propitiated and forgiven. Wow. So the wrath of God is turned away during this sacrifice of the Mass. And so it's a different gospel. It's a different Christ. I mean, Christ is the sinless mediator between God and man. He's the only mediator. The Catholics say, no, we have another sinless mediator named Mary. Yeah. The Catholic Jesus is a counterfeit Christ. And when the priest lifts up that wafer for Catholics to worship, they're committing the serious sin of idolatry. Right. Because right. Christ, by the authority of Scripture, we know that Christ remains in heaven. Hebrews 9.28 tells us that he will return a second time, and it will not be in relation to sin. So that one verse tells us that the Eucharist is a false Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Here, here's another thing. Uh, and again, I, a lot of times I think about this stuff. So we just talked about probably the largest implication of considering Catholics, brothers and sisters in Christ, co-laborers in the mission fields, right? Correct? Right. Here, what about this? Uh, if we embrace Catholicism as a, uh, I, I don't like using this word, maybe a parallel um, uh, form of Christianity, why didn't Chuck Colson become a Catholic or Bill Bright? Or wouldn't it be okay in that case for us to um, venerate the Pope or venerate Mary as evangelicals? I mean, if we're claiming that we're the same, then why why is it that um, we can't do that kind of stuff? Aren't these also implications? So not only losing 1.3 billion people, but also losing evangelicals that are maybe baby Christians or don't know the Word of God too well. And so they will assume that, well, hey, if these leading evangelicals say that we're the same thing, then what's the difference if I just start going to Mass, if I just start in, embracing the, the, the dogmas and the tenets of the Catholic faith? Am I, am I off base here, Mike? No, you're basically saying, so why was the Reformation necessary? Yes. If we yes. have the same gospel, the same faith, then why did the Reformers stand opposed to the Roman Catholic religion? Why did they give their lives? Why were they burned at the stake? Right. Because they stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's another issue that we need to look at, too, and that is evangelicals that think Roman Catholics are their brothers and sisters in Christ. They end up getting married. Catholics and evangelicals come mm -hmm. together in marriage. Yeah. And only later did they find out that the Catholic has a different gospel and a different Jesus. And that's why, again, we're supposed to be resisting to be coming together in unity, whether it be in marriage or whether it be spiritually in the body of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, there's there's been hundreds of years of missionary work, right? 
uh, true Christians going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You said, what was the point of all of the martyrdom, of all of the sacrifices? Uh, John MacArthur said, in the long war on the truth, the most formidable, relentless, and deceptive enemy has been Roman Catholicism. I, I want to read, I'm going to, I just read that, but let me read a couple more quotes from uh, Charles Spurgeon. Um, Christ, he says, quote, Christ did not redeem his church with his blood so the Pope could come in and steal his glory. Another quote from Charles Spurgeon says, quote, we must have no truce and make no treaty with Rome. Um, I think I would add to that list that you said, thank God for John MacArthur. I would add, thank God for Mike Gendron as well, Mike, because you're out there on the front lines. God has really gifted you with so much uh, knowledge and wisdom to be able to um, not only disseminate all of this, put it together, and then teach us how we're to go out and minister to Catholics. So we have all of the stuff we've talked about, implications, we've talked about the EAC, we've talked about the current, um, it, it hasn't gone away. There's the together generation. So this lie is perpetuating itself over and over, and it seems to not be um, dwindling within evangelicalism. If anything, I would say it's actually growing. What do you think about that, that statement, that it's not going away, it's actually going to get worse? Well, that's right. In fact, the Bible teaches that the apostasy that we are in the midst of will continue to grow. More and more people will fall away from the faith of the apostles. We see the compromise of the gospel so much in the evangelical churches today to where the average evangelical doesn't know what the gospel is. And unfortunately, when you don't know the word of God, if you're not in a church that's faithfully preaching the word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, then the people in the pew are not receiving the truth. And if you're not getting the truth, you don't know what is false. Right. And so you don't have discernment between truth and error. And so what happens is our churches are fertile grounds for deception. We need to get back to faithfully preaching the word of God, equipping the body of Christ, not only what the true gospel is, but also what false gospels are so that they will not be deceived and they'll know who to witness when they go out and share the gospel. Yeah. So <clears throat> with what you just said, you have your Francis Chans, you have, um, you know, look, I back here, I painted this. Okay. And I, I have to be upfront. I painted this back here. It's a picture of Billy Graham. He was called God's ambassador. Um, but even Billy Graham was, uh, Catholic friendly in some of the quotes that he said. I, I had a quote of him. I, I'm going to probably post it. I, um, I don't know. I had it here somewhere, but he, um, he pretty much gave really uh, words of exaltation to Pope John Paul II, uh, calling him a very moral man, a very good man. Um, and so, you know, even though I have this back here, I need to recognize myself that there were men that you know, I respect in the faith such as Billy Graham, but as we really do more looking and researching, which is what we as believers need to be doing, we realize that this stuff permeates a lot deeper than we think. Right, Mike? Well, it really does. And Billy Graham 
proclaimed the gospel. He called people to repentance, but yet he would go into each different city and he would ask the Catholic Church to help support his crusade. Yeah. And he promised if they would help support his crusade, that any Catholic that came forward, he would send back to Catholic churches. Yeah. Again, by the authority of Scripture, Billy Graham was disobedient to the Great Commission. Yeah. Because the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And you cannot make a disciple by sending a person back to an apostate form of Christianity. That's right. Billy Graham was more into making decisions, having people come forward and make a decision. Yeah. But once a person chooses to follow Christ, they need to find a doctrinally sound church so, so that they can be discipled in the truth. Yeah. And so unfortunately, Billy Graham would send people back to Catholic churches and all they would do would be indoctrinated with a false gospel. Sure. You know, I liken it to um, somebody coming out of an abusive relationship and you counsel them and you tell them that there's healing but then you send them back into that abusive relationship. You send them back to that house. You send them, you know, back to an environment that could actually be, in this case, eternally uh, damning. You know, and I, I don't say that lightly because, really, uh, for for anybody that dies outside of Christ, it's an eternity spent in hell and separation from God. And so, and we're going to get to that, okay? But I, I really want to drive home. Um, the fact that uh, not only is Catholicism a false system, but the fact that the Pope, the papal system, the, the papacy, uh, what it promotes. Because um, if we have these evangelicals, these leading evangelicals um, praising these popes, yes, it leads to um, it leads to a lot of confusion in the body of Christ. Now, let me pause there real quick because Mike, you said something uh, about Billy Graham that I I'm always thinking about. I brought it up when I did the podcast with Ray Comfort and you know, Ray Comfort, Ray Comfort's a good guy. Um, great evangelist. He's a, a guy that goes out literally on the streets to evangelize. So I highly recommend his ministry called living waters, but I brought this point up and I want to get your take on this. Um, because as you were talking, it sparked that question in my mind. With so many Billy Graham crusades, so many Harvest crusades, so many um, uh, crusades that Franklin Graham did, um, and I'm not knocking crusades. I want to make that crystal clear, okay? But I'm always thinking about numbers. There were, what would you say, Mike, millions of decisions made since these crusades started decades ago, these massive crusades. Um, Probably. millions, yeah, millions and millions of decisions for Christ. And here's my question. Why isn't the church any different? Why has the church gotten worse, not better, if we've had so many decisions for Christ? It begs the question, were those true decisions for Christ? Right, Mike? What is your take on that? Well, again, the Great Commission is not to go and make decisions, but go and make disciples. Amen. And I like crusades, that. crusades don't make disciples, they make decisions. Yes. And so what happens is a lot of false converts are produced. They think that by walking an aisle, they become a Christian or by raising a hand 
or by repeating a prayer, which Billy Graham was known to do. Yeah. You won't find the sinner's prayer anywhere in Scripture. Correct. In fact, the only time you see someone praying is uh, the publican who cried out to the Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's the one that went home justified, not the self-righteous Pharisee. Yeah. But, you know, we need to disciple people in the truth. We need to show them everything Christ has commanded. And one of those commands is to come out of false churches. And John 4.24, we see that God seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth. There's no truth in the Catholic Church regarding the gospel, right. regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's deception. And so if a person who's been born again is in the Catholic Church, they must come out being led by the Holy Spirit as they are discipled in the Word of God. Amen. You I know, agree. I totally agree. We need, to do. we need to be about the Lord's business. I really, really like, can I borrow that sometime as long as I credit it to you? We, uh, oh, God didn't call God. it. Give God the glory and the credit. Amen. You know what? I love it. I really like what you said. It, it puts things in perspective. It, God called us to make disciples, not decisions. That's great. Remember that everybody. So here are you, I'm, I'm just going to go through a list of um, what the Pope promotes. Stop me at any moment if I say something that um, is incorrect because I, I don't want to. Okay, so he promotes salvation through works. He um, promotes the exaltation of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, above Christ Himself. He promotes the veneration of angels. He promotes the daily resacrificing of Christ on the altar through the sacraments. He promotes. The useless and unbiblical practice of infant baptism. He promotes the selling of forgiveness through indulgences. Do they still do that, Mike? Of course they do. It's an infallible dogma. It can never change. Okay. He promotes the doctrine of works for justification and salvation. He promotes prayer for the dead. Do they still do that? Yes, they do. Okay. He promotes the meaningless repetition of prayers, which the Lord has said it was an abomination to him. And here is my question to all this. Is money a motivating factor, primary motivating factor for the Catholic Church, all the way starting at the top? Well, sure it is. In fact, that's how St. Peter's Basilica was built, through the selling of God's forgiveness through indulgences. That's a historical fact. In fact, that was one of the reasons Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg, the selling of God's forgiveness through indulgences. And so we know that uh, indulgences is wrong, but yet they're still practiced today by the Catholic Church. In fact, when a Catholic loved one dies, the family members will purchase mass cards from the Catholic priest in the area. And for a regular mass, they might give $50 for high mass, they'll give $300 to get their loved one out of this non-existent place called purgatory that they say they will be in purgatory purging their sins away for an indefinite amount of time. No yeah. priest can tell you how long they must suffer in purgatory or how many masses must be said before they can be removed from purgatory. And so the Roman Catholic is utterly dependent upon his priest in their lifetime, but also in the next life after they die, they're still dependent upon the priest to get them out of this place they t they're told they must go in order to have their sins purged away. So John MacArthur, 
John MacArthur called purgatory safe. Um, it's the Catholic, the Catholicism's safety net. Yeah. And the reason why is because a Catholic can pretty much decide whether or not his sins are venial, which are lesser sins that only cause temporal punishment and purgatory, as opposed to mortal, which would be things like murder or adultery or missing church on Sunday as a mortal sin. And so those would warrant eternal fires of hell. But anything less than a mortal sin, you only go to purgatory. So that's why it's called the safety net. Most Catholics don't think they commit mortal sins. That's why they're hard to evangelize. Right. They think they're on their way to heaven, albeit through a detour through purgatory, but they'll eventually get there after they've had their venial sins purged away. And Pablo, that is the lie of the devil and the yeah. garden. If you go back to the garden, the devil told Eve that you surely shall not die if you break God's command. Right. That's the Roman Catholic venial sin. You surely shall not die if you commit these lesser sins. A lie of the serpent in the garden. Yeah. So here you have doctrines of demons. The Roman Catholic Church is following leading their people to hell rather than to heaven. Yeah. So I want, I really, really want everybody listening to put on your thinking caps and really pay attention to what we've been talking about. Because if you've really been following everything Mike's been saying, it should be really, really important for you to, to just have that big question in your mind. Wait, then there is a big chasm between Christianity, true Christianity and Catholicism, what in the world are these leading evangelicals telling us that it's the same thing? And that's why, I'm, that's why we're sharing all of this information with you guys. Again, don't take Mike's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go do your own research and see if the things that we're telling you aren't true. First and foremost, go to the Word of God. That is the highest authority on any of the things that we're saying. Check out the Bible uh, references Mike is saying. I'm, I'm going to put these up, so you're going to be seeing them. Well, One thing well, let, me, let me just summarize real quickly sure. the satanic attacks against the Catholic religion. We've already talked about how the Catholic Church rejects the supremacy of God's Word. They also deny the sufficiency of God's Son. As you have said, you need, you need works in order to be justified. That denies faith alone in Christ alone. Yeah. They deny the singularity of God's gospel. They have another gospel. They deny the sovereignty of God's grace. Catholics believe that you're born again through water baptism mm -hmm. rather than the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. They deny the security of God's children. The Catholic Church denies the promise of the gospel, eternal everlasting life with the Savior. They deny the severity of God's punishment. If you die without Christ, you go to an eternity in hell. Yes. Substitute purgatory, denying the severity of God's punishment. Mm -hmm. And they also deny the sanctity of God's church. They have unbelievers in the Catholic Church committing the serious sin of idolatry by worshiping a Eucharist as the Christ who came down from heaven at yep. the beck and call of a priest. So that's how satanic the Roman Catholic Church is. These are all satanic attacks on the doctrines of the Christian faith. Yeah, I want, I want people to understand something. I'm going to go back right now to Bloody Mary's reign. It was between 1553 AD and 1558. It was five years. I'm sure a lot of us studied Bloody Mary probably didn't pay attention because it didn't come from 
the standpoint that I'm going to share from and with Mike. She restored the Pope's authority. And what happened when she did that immediately, um, all the Bibles were removed from churches and immediately all the printing of Bibles ceased. Now, 800 ministers fled to Geneva. And you, again, this is John MacArthur talks about this in a sermon. I am, I don't want to take credit for this, but I looked this up and it's true. Again, 800 ministers fled to Geneva. 300 Protestants were burned at the stake. Okay, Tyndale was chased, he was hunted down, he was caught and killed. His crime was translating the Bible to English. Um, this was all done in all through history by the Roman Catholic Church. And my, I, I really can't state that enough. Mike, I really, really want to really drive home that I would say probably the biggest enemy to Christianity throughout history has been Roman Catholicism. Is that overstating a fact? All I have to do is read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, but one of the most terrifying events took place, St. Bar Bartholomew Day Massacre, where the streets of Paris were ankle deep in the blood of the saints. The uh, Roman Catholic Church had put to death all the Christians in France, and they were rewarded with indulgences. Those who slaughtered Christians in the streets of Paris during the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre were rewarded with indulgences. I mean, this is the, this is how evil the Roman Catholic religion is. If you murder a Christian, you get a plenary indulgence, which means all your sins are forgiven and you don't have to spend any time in purgatory. Why does that sound so familiar? Islam. Oh yeah, that's right. Maybe not to that degree, but if they die martyrs, as jihadist martyrs, they get, I don't know how many virgins in their paradise. There's this reward for killing the infidel in Islam. Am I right, Mike? You're right. And Roman Catholicism and Islam have a lot of common bonds between them. But one of the things that's going to unite Islam and Catholicism and all the religions of the world is a works righteousness salvation. Biblical Christianity stands apart from the religions of the yes. world that we are saved by God's unmerited grace by faith in the all-sufficient Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Every religion in the world is a religion of Satan because he knows that grace is the only means by which God will save sinners. So he creates a variety of religions that teach you must do things to appease God and gain eternal life. That's all right. of these religions are lost. They're all mission fields, but the Roman Catholic Church is no different from Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism. They all teach works righteousness, salvation. That's right. Um, so let me cover this before we get to the really, really, really good part. All right. And I'm going to save that to the end. But uh, Pope John Paul II was what they called a modified universalist. Um, would you mind telling us what uh, universalism is? What do they teach basically in universalism when, when it comes to the concept of hell? Yeah, the universalist believes that everyone goes to heaven. And so Pope Francis is also a believer in universal yeah. salvation. In fact, he's come out, out and denied the existence of hell. He yeah. says all people will go to heaven, that Jesus has redeemed all people through his blood. Even atheists, as long as they are sincere, will go to heaven. Yeah, That's you what have universalism that. is. You have that in your newsletter. Again, guys, you got to get this newsletter. It's great. 
um, you, you, you do quote that in your newsletter about Pope John Paul. I want to see if I could read it. And by um, the way, Pablo, I give hot links with every comment the Pope makes so that they can verify it for themselves. Yep. And they'll know that I'm teaching the truth because I give you the links to know that it's true. Yeah. And you also put the links to the Catechism of the Catholic Church and you quote the paragraphs. Mike does a stupendous job literally at linking and showing you that he's not making this stuff up and he's not pulling it out of thin air. Okay. So um, here is the quote of uh, the Pope. He said, there is no hell and quote, there is no punishment for the lost soul, but the annihilation of that soul with the death of the body, their journey is finished. How, how convenient, right? The fact that you can live your life the way you want to live your life Hey, look, at the end of the day, you're good. You're totally good because everybody, you know, goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. How convenient. Um, he said that, uh, let's see, I have some quotes here. He said that the thought of hell should not create, this is Pope John Paul II before he died in his 26-year ministry. He said that the thought of hell should not create anxiety. I would imagine that the new Pope probably shares in the same feelings and the same sentiment that Pope John Paul II did. So hell shouldn't create anxiety. So, hey, just take it easy, relax, sit back, you know. Um, he also said that Christ won universal salvation with a gift of his own life. He said that, quote, for those that aren't Catholics, salvation can be accessible or obtained in, I don't get this, mysterious ways, whatever that means. And he also said that those from other religions and other faiths can be saved by Christ apart from the means Christ established. And I really like what you said, and this is one of your headlines in a newsletter, so I'm going to quote Mr. Mike Gendron, the most influential and wicked false prophet in the world today. I couldn't have said it better myself. Mike, what, how else, how much more do we need to share with people, to show them that these are totally diametrically opposed Christianity, true Christianity, and Roman Catholicism. Well, they have a different authority, a different Jesus, a different gospel. They're on a different path to eternity. They have a different view of Mary. They have a different view of sin. Yes. So they, they need to hear the gospel. They're, they're biblically illiterate because they're not being fed the word of God. For 35 years, I had a Bible sitting on my coffee table as a Catholic. I never opened it because the priest told me it was too difficult to understand. Mm. So it's sat there collecting dust. And the nature of deception is that people don't know they're deceived until they're confronted with the truth. When I opened that Bible for the first time at age 35, I was confronted with the truth. And then I had to make a decision. Should I trust Christ in his word or the teachings and traditions of my religion. It was impossible to believe both. And that's what I urge everyone listening to this program. Test every man's teaching with the authority of God's word. If yes. it conforms to scripture, then believe it. If it goes against scripture, then reject it. Yeah, and amen. If you look at Catholicism, it rejects the word of God. So let's let's move fast because I know we're running out of time. And there's a couple things more that I want to cover quickly. So um, I might bullet, just go bullet point here. I want to cover really fast the Council of Trent, because in the Council of Trent, they uh, addressed 
um, they came up with a lot of these um, cannons, I guess. And uh, in a lot of these, you would be anathematized, right, from the Catholic Church. Uh, one of them, is, and I, I want you to talk about this, not me, but one of them pretty much says, if anyone says that salvation is by faith through grace, let him be anathema. That's just one of hundreds of them. Talk to us a bit about what the count, what came out of the Council of Trent, including um, what our current Pope belongs to, which is the Order of the Jesuits. Am sure. I right? Well, both of those, the Council of Trent, which is the Counter-Reformation, the Catholic Church get, got together with all their bishops to decide what they needed to do to stop this mass exodus from the Catholic Church during the Reformation. So one of the things they did is they took the Bible away from the people. And they said, if you have a Bible in your possession, you cannot be forgiven of your sins mm. until you return it. Now you ask, why would a quote unquote Christian church forbid the Bible? It's because Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, if you are truly a disciple of mine, you will abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right. Free from what? Well, you see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, that every unbeliever is held captive by the devil to do his will. The only way to be released from captivity, to be released from religious deception and religious bondage, is to know the truth, and that truth will set you free. So the Counter-Reformation at the Council of Trent condemned born-again Christians because they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over yeah. 100 anathemas are still in effect today. Pablo, you and I are condemned by the Catholic Church, <laughs> and yet we have evangelicals that want us to unite yes. with the Catholic Church that condemns us. Yeah. The Catholic Church is under divine condemnation for preaching a false gospel and also for adding to the Word of God. Yeah. So yeah. we cannot have unity with the Catholic Church. The second thing that came out of the Reformation was the Jesuits. Counter-Reformation. Counter yeah, well, the, because of the Reformation, yeah. the Jesuits were formed in order to eliminate the Reformers. Right, right. In fact, their purpose was to destroy anything that stood in opposition to the Roman Catholic religion. So the Jesuits are in full force today. They have a pope that's a Jesuit, the first Jesuit in papal history. And so he's trying to eliminate any opposition to the Roman Catholic religion. And he's going to get his wish one day, yeah. the rapture of the church, when we're taken into heaven, and then he'll have full reign over all the religions of the world to bring about this ecumenical unity, this religious unity that he's been trying to achieve now ever since he's taken office. Yeah. So here's another question for you real quick. Can Catholic theology or Catholic dogma be uh, revised, be changed? Yes or no? I mean, I know the answer. No, infallible dogmas can never be changed or altered because they're pronounced by infallible bishops speaking with one voice. If they were to change one infallible dogma, the whole system would crater on itself. Yeah. So all these pronouncements must be unchangeable. Okay. Now, if the Pope is the faithful guardian of the Catholic theological system, tell us why, when Pope John Paul II died, did he not go to purgatory? Yeah, they had five different cardinals fly in from around the world 
to offer the sacrifice of the Eucharist, the false Christ on an altar to get the Holy Father out of purgatory. That's what they called him, yeah. Holy Father, but yet he had to go to purgatory to be purged of his venial sins. And that's why these sacrifices were offered. And so it's it's hypocritical. They say one thing and they, they do another. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? One of the bishops, I believe, right after Pope John Paul II died, was quoted as saying, we prayed for him, and now we are going to pray to him. That's right. Right? So, um, you know, it's it's amazing to me that uh, people are that gullible, that uh, Jesus Christ was so great at calling us sheep, because we are, um, you know, uh, so gullible. Oh, it's called indoctrination. People sure. are gullible because they've been indoctrinated from the time they can think that they belong to the one true church. Yeah. Yep. And they, they're told if they ever leave, they'll go to hell. So it's it's a powerful indoctrination. It's one of the tools of Satan that he uses to blind people from the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. Yeah. Your, your, in your newsletter, in the second um, uh, paragraph, actually, yeah, second paragraph, the point, nature of deception. I love what you said. You said the nature of deception is such that no one knows they're deceived until they are confronted with the truth. So... This is what Mike and I are doing with everybody watching and anybody listening right now. We are confronting you with the truth of God's word. This isn't our truth. This is the truth of God's word. So with that, Mike, let's talk about the good stuff, ways to evangelize Catholics. How can we as believers combat this ecumenical movement between evangelicalism, Catholicism? How do we do that? How do we go about sharing Christ? The first and most important principle that we need to follow is to establish the supreme authority of Scripture in all matters of faith. We must show that Scripture is higher in authority than any man's teaching. And a good verse for that is Acts 17.11, where the Apostle Paul was preaching in the synagogues of Berea. And as he was preaching, his listeners were searching the Scriptures to test the veracity of his teaching. Amen. That's a principle that we all need to follow. Test every man's teaching with the word of God. If the Pope's teaching goes against the word of God, Catholics must reject it and follow the word of God. The right. second principle is tradition. They have their traditions elevated to be equal in authority. Jesus addressed this in Mark chapter 7. He said to the apostate Jewish leaders, you are nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition, clearly showing that scripture must remain an authority over tradition. The second most important principle, establish the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is necessary for salvation. Nothing else can be added to his perfect, finished work of redemption. Amen. Catholic Amen. will not be willing to let go of all the things they're doing to save themselves until they know that Christ is sufficient. The Roman Catholic gospel is taught that Catholics must be baptized, receive the sacraments, do good works to be justified. They must obey the law, which puts them under a curse, according to Galatians 3, because James 2.10 says, if you keep the whole law perfectly and stumble at one part, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. Yep. So that cannot be a requirement for salvation. And they must attend the sacrifice of the Mass. 
See, Catholics, if they know that Christ is sufficient, then they'll be will they'll be willing to let go of everything they're doing. Sure. We sure. have a gospel track entitled, You Can Never Do What Christ Has Done. We need to show that Christ has done everything necessary to save sinners completely and forever. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way for those who are lost. He is the truth for those who are deceived. And he is the life for those who are dead in their sins. Yeah, We need nothing other than Christ, him alone, and we can be saved. Amen. Amen. So another thing that we can do is prayer. Am I right, Mike? Pray, right. for, yep. pray right. for those that are in the Catholic system, this false system. I have family members that are in the Catholic false system. And prayer yeah, is we huge. Pray, we pray that God would open their hearts as yep. he opened Lydia's heart. Yeah, absolutely. Appointments. We pray that God would remove the scales off their eyes so they could see the light of the gospel. Yes. We pray for divine appointments, that God would give us open doors of opportunity. But, you know, we are trusting in a sovereign God who alone can bring people to salvation. Two things are necessary. You need the word of God and the spirit of God. Amen. Our responsibility is to preach the word of God, to share the gospel. And then we rely on the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word and to bring conviction of their sin. The two must go hand in hand together. That's the only way we'll see salvation. Amen. The other thing I wanted to throw in there is uh, Mike, Mike touched on this early on, uh, and I don't know if a lot of you caught it. One really, really, really important thing is to know uh, what you're dealing with. Uh, you, we can't sit back and be ignorant and take other people's word for what the Catholic Church believes. That's why I think Mike's newsletters are so amazing because he puts links to everything that he addresses, including when he quotes the um, Catechism of the Catholic Church. So there's no excuse for us not to know, but we need to do our part. We need to do our studying of what other religions, of what other people believe, so that not, not only so that we can combat them, but most importantly, so that nobody's deceived. We're not deceived, right, Mike? Yeah, we need to know what they're trusting in for salvation so that we can use the Word of God as an offensive and defensive weapon. The Word of God is so powerful, it can slay every lie of the devil. So once we know the lies that they're believing, we can use the Word of God to destroy that lie and show them what the truth of God's word is. Yes. Okay. In conclusion, because I really want to close, Mike's been super generous with his time. Um, we covered a lot and didn't cover a lot. Uh, I, I love the fact that Mike is always willing to share of his time. Um, Mike, uh, would you be willing to come on again sometime? Yeah, there's no Please. more important thing to do than to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Pablo, I, I just appreciate that's what you do. Because we have a sense of urgency right now. The Lord yeah. could come at any moment to take his church back. And when he takes his church to heaven, there's not going to be any believers left on this earth. And so more than ever, we have to have a sense of urgency. Let's start sharing the gospel with our loved ones, with our neighbors, with our friends, our coworkers. And, you know, we've got a lot of resources. We've got gospel tracks. Yeah. If you only have a moment or two, you can give the gospel away in literature form. Yeah. And that way you're sowing the imperishable seed of God's word. God promises to bring forth life when it falls on fertile soil. 
Amen. Johnny Apple season, sow the seed wherever we go. Yeah. You know what? Um, I'm going to link again, every, all of Mike's resources, I'm going to link below. I'm going to link to his website because you have a beautiful new website. Well, fairly new. When did it, when did you uh, upload that new website? It's been about a year now. So yeah, it's beautiful. It's chock full of stuff. I'm going to link to it. Um, I would highly encourage you to go on Mike's site, support his ministry by purchasing some of these things. If you feel led to donate to his ministry so that he can further the work, I would encourage you guys to do the same thing. Also, um, I have these little cards. They're just business cards. They're the size of a business card. And then on one side, it has the Serpents and Doves logo with the website. On the flip side of these cards is the gospel message with a very short prayer. I was able to fit it in a two and a half by three inch business card. You can carry these in your wallet. You can carry these in your car. When you go out to dinner somewhere or have a cup of coffee, leave it on the table. Put it in a, you know, on someone's car that you know or love. Or if you come across somebody, right, Mike, just hand them a track. Like Mike said, Johnny Appleseed, right? Sow the seed of God's imperishable word. Yeah, just get out there. Sow the seed of love, of God's love, because you know what? God's word will never return void. Okay, so uh, get out there, do the work. Mike, before we wrap this up, um, I always want to make sure that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's probably people out there that are hearing this now. They may hear it uh, two weeks from when this posts a year from when it posts, if we're still here and God hasn't taken the church away and they want to give their life over to Jesus Christ, share the gospel first. And then if you wouldn't mind leading us in a word of prayer, that would be fabulous. Sure. Well, the gospel always starts with God, our creator. He is holy and just. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And because of his nature, he cannot let sin go unpunished which means that every sin that's ever been committed by every man and woman that's ever lived must be punished. And God didn't leave us in our helpless condition. The Bible says every man is a sinner. We're all born sinners. There's no one righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God sent us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, the eternal Son of God. He became a man, lived a perfect and sinless life. He went to Calvary's cross as a substitute to die for the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. When he was immersed in the wrath of God, he paid the, pull, the full punishment for man's sins on the cross. And three days later, the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead, showing that God was satisfied with the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ as the full payment for sins for all who would trust in him. The only response for salvation, once you know this information, is to repent and believe the gospel. That is the first command of our Lord Jesus Christ, repent and believe the gospel. That means if you're believing a false gospel like the Roman Catholic gospel, you have to change your mind, repent, and believe the true gospel. When you do, you have the promise of eternal everlasting life. You're now a child of God. You're an ambassador to the King of Kings. And you now have the privilege of taking his gospel throughout the world, beginning in your own hometown with your loved ones, your neighbors, and all of your friends. 
So I pray that this gospel will go forth. Thank you, Pablo. And I'm going to close in prayer. Yes. Our sovereign Lord, we do thank you for the technology that allows your gospel to go forth. Thank you for the opportunity to share today, not only the glorious truth of your gospel and the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also to expose the evil deeds of darkness, the false and fatal gospel of the Roman Catholic religion. Father, it's our desire that any Roman Catholic that's hearing this would repent and believe the gospel. And for all those Christians who have heard the false and fatal gospel of Rome, might they have a greater compassion and a greater love to reach them before they perish. And we ask this for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the salvation of all those who are listening. We give you thanks for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mike, thanks so much for being with us. Um, to everybody listening, again, I'm going to link to all of Mike's resources below to his website. I highly recommend you go. You get stuff. Support his ministry. It's fabulous. Um, for those that might want to get some Serpents and Doves gear, they're great talking pieces. They're going to lead people to the website. And at the website, they're going to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So go to the site, get some gear get some of Mike's stuff. And I hope you guys were blessed. I hope you guys were encouraged and most importantly, challenged to dig deeper and deeper into the word, get into the word, let the word of God get into you guys until the next one. God bless you guys.